Hey, thank you. Good morning, Journey. It is always an honor to be here. I've had the privilege of watching you guys from the very start. Nine and a half, ten years ago, when Christian said to me, I think I'm supposed to plant a church, I said, of course you are. You've got what it takes, and we'll help, and we'll cheer, and we'll encourage. And we had the chance to do that on the front end. And uh, it's come full circle here a year, year and a half ago when we started Restore Shawnee. You guys turned around and, uh, and blessed us. In fact, last time I was here, you handed me a check for $25,000. So I'm really excited about being here today. And uh, it's always, always good to be with you. Uh, I love what God's doing in your midst. I love your pastor. I will tell you that every time I come. Uh, men that lead as well as he does, teach as well as he does, and do it from as pure a heart as he has are rare. If you do not know that, they are rare. And it's fun for me to cheer and fun for me to watch and fun for me to claim a Christian as one of my spiritual sons, and I do. I, I am proud of him. But I'm also always glad to be here because there's a God thing going on in your church. I cannot say that everywhere I go. There's a God thing happening here. You do not come as far as you've come in as short a time as you've been together without it being a God thing. It certainly is. In Texas, we'd say it's a God thing, and it is a God thing. That is precisely what it is. So it's always an honor to be here. Thank you for letting me come today. Over the past years, I've had the privilege of traveling to 35 different countries leading pastors conferences. And since I'm a musician, I play keys. And when I get to heaven, I hope my job is playing in the band in heaven, playing keys. That's all I want to do. My favorite thing to do in the kingdom of God. I pay attention to the music as I travel to these different countries. And it's different in every country. There are different styles or different flavors. Some countries are very musical. Some countries, not so much. The most musical country I have visited easily is Brazil. And particularly the city of Rio de Janeiro. They are music crazy. In Rio, they wake to music. They literally get dressed to music. They, they make their way to work with music playing. When they're at work, there's music going over the speaker everywhere. They take their lunch break and go to a restaurant where there's music going on. They go back to work for more music. They make their way home with more music. They redress to go out because I'm convinced the entire city of Rio parties every night of the week. They are the party animals of the world. They are the musical people of the world. There's nobody like them in terms of music. They're the 21st century crazy people when it comes to music. Now, why do I tell you that? Because that's exactly who the Hebrews were 3,000 years ago. In the middle of the Old Testament, when the book of Psalms were written, the, written, the Hebrews were the music-crazy people of their world. They did everything to music. The reason we have the book of Psalms is because they are musical. Folks, it's not written like the rest of Scripture. It's a book of songs. It's literally 150 songs. It's a 150-song it's a hymnal in the middle 
of our Bible. And you've been studying that this summer. You've been learning about the different Psalms. So when Christian called me up a couple weeks ago and said, hey, can you come speak? I said, sure. What am I talking about? He said, you're talking about the Ascent Psalms, A-S-C-E-N-T. Grab your notes. Do you have them? Now's the time to write some things down. If you're following online, you could follow as well along with the notes there. Ascent Psalms are basically walking to worship songs. They're songs for walking to worship. Now you're going, well, I don't know how that makes sense. We don't walk to worship, we drive. But they walked. And particularly in Hebrew culture 3,000 years ago, this was a really amazing thing. Three weeks every year, the entire country had vacation. Three weeks every year for worship. They would travel to the city of Jerusalem three times a year, stay a week each time, and have a week of worship. Now, how cool would it be to be in a country where three weeks of the year were declared to be worship weeks? That would be pretty amazing. Jerusalem was uphill from most of the rest of the country. So they literally walked up to Jerusalem. They would travel 20, 30, 40 miles. The entire country of Israel is only about 60 miles long. So the furthest they'd be was about 40 miles from the city. They'd walk to the city of Jerusalem. And as they walked down the road, picture this, thousands of them walking the road together, they would sing songs of worship. And the 15 songs that they sang are recorded for us in Psalms 121, through Psalms 135. They're the ascent songs. They're the walking uphill to Jerusalem songs. They also sang them every week in their local cities and villages when they went to the synagogue to worship. And the way they built their synagogues in their small towns back then, they'd pick the highest piece of land in the area and build it there. If it was a flat area, they'd bring in rock and build it up. The typical synagogue had 15 to 20 steps that you walked up to come into the building. What did they sing as they walked across town and up the steps? The sang songs of ascent. So these 15 songs are their come to worship songs. Now, we don't have anything like that in American culture, but we have our own set of unique songs. We sing special songs at Christmas. They're called carols. We sing special songs at Easter, hymns about the resurrection. We sing patriotic songs, July 4th, some of my favorite. We sing the strangest song of all based on a Scottish poem every New Year's called Auld Ang Syne. I bet nobody in the room can even spell it, but we sing it. We sing birthday songs to each other. We too have special songs for special days, but they had 15 songs they sang on their way to worship. So ascent psalms are worship psalms. They're walking up to worship psalms. When I asked Christian which one of the 15 he wanted me to cover, he said, take your pick. I knew right away which one I would do. I love Psalm 122. I memorized a piece of it as a small child, and it talks about one thing. Here's the title for today, Why Corporate Worship Matters, Why Believers Need to Get Together 
to worship. That's what the Ascent Psalms talk about. Why are we walking up the city to Jerusalem? Why are we coming together as a church? Why are we coming together as a people? Why does it matter? There's three arguments in this psalm. Would you write them down today? Let God speak to you about whichever one you need to hear today. The first one, worshiping with other believers builds our joy. It builds joy. It helps us embrace Joy. Now, I'm going to date myself here, okay? I'm 64 years old. I don't mind telling you that. I'm a high mileage model. Do you understand that reference? It's not the model year that counts. It's the number of miles. I'm a high mileage model. But when I was small, I was raised in a very traditional Baptist church. We went to vacation Bible school. We did Sunday school. And we memorized scripture out of the King James Bible. And one of the first verses I memorized as a five-year-old was out of this psalm, Psalm 122. And it said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. The Hebrews were glad to get together to worship. They were excited when the Sabbath came. They were real excited with three times a year. They had a whole week of worship. Can you imagine a week of worship? A week of just letting the band cut loose? a week of just enjoying the presence of God, they got excited about it. But I've got to tell you, as a small boy in my Baptist church, I was not glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I was mad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. On Sunday morning, early? And my dad was one of those people who believed if you were 15 minutes early, you were five minutes late. We were there when the doors opened. We were there when the doors closed. I didn't look forward to it at all. I mean, honestly, I was a little frustrated when I went. But when I got there and I experienced the kids' stuff, and I went to kids' church where we had a kids' band and where I got to learn to play the keyboard and got to learn to run sound, I learned there was some joy to coming to church. So I'd often start mad. But I'd end up glad. I'd end up with joy. I'd end up in a different place. I started mad. My wife, on the other hand, when you wake her up on Sunday morning, her response is not glad. It's not mad. Her response is sad. She's an introvert. She is a severe introvert. Now, if you've ever heard her speak, you would never believe it. When she gets up to speak, that gift of teaching comes out, and she clears out a spot and throws a fit. She's easily the most gifted speaker in our family. If y'all ever have her speak, I'll never be invited again. I mean, she's amazing. She speaks to thousands more than I do. She's just an amazing, amazing lady. But she has to work in her mindset to want to go to worship because crowds is not her thing. I mean, honestly, she'd rather stay home. She'd rather be alone. But she has had to overcome that thing. So what I'm trying to say to you today is it doesn't matter where you start on this. It matters where you finish. Reminds me of the story of a 30-year-old man who's still living at home with his mom. And Sunday morning comes along and she wakes him up and says, get up, son. It's time to get ready for church. And he says, yes, mom. And goes back to sleep. Ten minutes later, she comes back in and wakes him the second time and says, hey, mom. Hey, you know, hey, son, it's time to get up. We've got to get ready to go to church. Let's go. And he says, sure, mom. And he goes back to sleep. Third time, she walks in, wakes him up, brings a little water with her, makes sure that he gets awake, and says to him, son, you got to get up. They're expecting you at church. You're the pastor. 
I get it. I felt that way this morning. I really did. I mean, when Christian asked me to come speak, I was excited. Till my alarm went off at 5.45 this morning, I was not excited. Till I left my house at 6.30, because I live in West Shawnee, 45 minutes away, I was not excited. Till I got here about 7.20, I was not excited. I wasn't excited till 8 o'clock. And people started coming in. And the worship started. And my joy began doing this. And all of a sudden, I was at the place of I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Write this in your notes. It is an important, important thing. Worshiping with other believers brings joy. It brings us joy. We were made to worship with other believers. The word joy is mentioned 98 times in the Psalms. Now think about that. 150 Hebrew songs of worship recorded in our Bible, 98 of them are about joy. Think there's a hint there? The reality is when we worship together, when we come together as believers, joy happens. It's happened for some of you today. You had to drag yourself here. You may have come mad. You may have come sad. You may have just been tired. But now that you hear your joy, it's starting to do this. And when you walk out, most of us will say, I'm glad I came. I'm glad I took the time to come. It's a God thing that happens in us when we worship together with other believers. Check out just a few of the 98 times joy is mentioned in the book of Psalms. Psalm 30 says, weeping may last through the night, joy comes in the morning. Later in that same psalm, it says, you've turned my morning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my morning and clothed me with joy. Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Psalm 43, there I will go to the altar of God, to my God, the source of all my joy. And Psalm 100, my favorite verse about joy, says, shout to the Lord, all the earth. Come before him with gladness, singing with joy, acknowledging that the Lord is God. He has made us. We are his. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are his people. Do you hear joy in this? There's a joy that happens when we come together. Turn to somebody near you and say, I'm enjoying the fact that you came to church today. Tell them, come on. I'm enjoying the fact you came. I'm enjoying it, guys. I mean, listen, my joy's gone up for all three services. Eight o'clock, I had joy. Nine thirty, I got joy. Eleven. Any of y'all want to stick around and do it twelve thirty? I mean, the joy thing that's happening here works for me because I need that joy. Write it in. Corporate joy lifts our souls. It lifts our souls. There's a corporate soul thing that happens when the people of God get together. Do I enjoy singing to God by myself? I do. Do I sound a lot better with a hundred other voices? Yes, I do. 
Do I enjoy it by myself? I do. Is it even better when there's a band and other believers? Yes. Do I enjoy studying God's word alone? I do. Is it even more special when we learn together? We are made to be lifted by being together. Here's another way to say it. Corporate worship refills our joy. I've discovered that my joy leaks. Has anybody else found this to be true? My joy leaks. And sometimes in the ordinary stuff of life, I get a little hole poked in my joy here and a little hole poked there and a little one poked here and my joy can drain down. But when I come back together to worship with God's people, it fills it all the way back up. That's why you're here today. It's a piece of why you came. Embrace the joy enjoy the joy, take in the joy. One of the reasons that God calls us to worship together is it builds joy. Maybe that's your reason. Here's the second one. Second reason we worship with other believers is it builds community. It builds community. It reminds us we are not alone. Everybody look this way. That's an important message right now. Because the crisis of our country, the crisis of health, of finance, of race, of politics, four crises going at once, makes us feel alone, makes us feel isolated. This is the reminder we're not alone. This is the reminder we don't have to figure it out all by ourselves. This is the reminder we have a family. It is the family of God. Now, we're looking through Psalm 122. If you got your Bible, look there. If you don't, it's on your phone. You could look on your phone as well. We looked at the first two verses already. Here's verses three and four, Psalm 122. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage there. It's talking about those three times a year that they come to Jerusalem to worship. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord as the law requires of Israel. How cool is that? They were required by law to worship together. You talk about a government that's pro-God. They were required by law. You will worship together. Why? Because there's a sense of community. We are better together. We are stronger together. We are smarter together. Most of the Psalms were written by David. I know you've discovered that as you've studied the Psalms together this summer. David is the king of of Israel, a powerful, powerful man, a man after God's own heart. But before he was king, David was a shepherd. And I relate to shepherds. I grew up, spent some time in the hill country of Texas, in in sheep country. Sheep country is very different from cattle country. Here's what I could tell you about sheep. The number one enemy of any flock of sheep, any shepherd will tell you this, is a wolf. And they're particularly dangerous because wolves hunt in packs. They do not hunt solo. They hunt in packs. Do you know how they hunt? They look for the stray sheep. They look for the straggler at the back of the herd. Or they look for that lone ranger sheep who's got off by his or herself. The name for a sheep by itself is wolf bait. That's the name. You get separated from your flock, from your body, from your church, and you stay separated long enough, you're dead meat, literally. You're going to die. Sheep that are alone do not survive. 
And the same is true for us. This is why this verse reminds us that we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. And when we come together, there is safety. When we come together, there is community. When we come together, we are stronger, we are better, we are smarter. Here's what I'm trying to say. Write it in. Following Christ is a team sport. It's a team sport, church. It is not a solo thing. It's not a solo, individual, Olympic event. It is a team Olympic event. It requires that we be together. This is the reason the New Testament, let's flip over from Psalms to the New Testament for a minute, lists 19 different ways we're supposed to take care of each other, love each other, Pray for each other, support each other, encourage each other, bear one another's burdens. It just goes on and on and on. We need each other. Once in a while, I run into what I call a Lone Ranger Christian. You've met these folks. They say something like this I love Jesus, I just don't like his church. Think about that. The church is the bride of Christ. So this is the equivalent to walking up to me this morning and saying, Dan, it is so good to see you. I love you, but I can't stand your wife. Now, if you say that to me, let me help you with what's going to happen. We're going to step outside. In fact, we're going to step out back so nobody can watch because I'm going to kick your bodiggity. And if I can't get it done, I'm going to hire it done. You could insult me all day long. You could tell me you don't like me all day long. You mess with my wife. Those are fighting words. How do you think Jesus feels about his bride? He fought for her all the way to a cross. And you think it's okay? To walk around saying, I love Jesus, I just don't like his church. By the way, you're going to be one unhappy person in heaven. Because guess who's going to be there? His church. For eternity. They don't have a solo 40 acres for you. We do this thing together. It's about community. It's about we acknowledge, I need you, you need me. Yes, you're not perfect, I'm not either, but we are the bride of Christ, and we're becoming who he wants us to be. I am not down on the church, I am up on the church. And we need to all be there. We have to embrace the community. The first reason we gather as believers is it builds joy. Some of you, it's already done that today. It's done it for me. Second reason is it builds community. You look around the room and go, hey, we're not alone. We are not alone. We have friends. We have family. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's the third reason, equally important, mentioned in this psalm. Worshiping with other believers builds our peace. It builds our peace. The first two verses talk about joy. The middle three verses talk about community. The last three talk about peace. Listen as I read them. Pray for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. Oh, Jerusalem, may there be peace, second time it's mentioned, within your walls and prosperities in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace 
peace. Three times, three verses. Now, when I grew up, if my mom called me Danny Ray once, I meant pay attention. If she called me Danny Ray twice, it meant really pay attention. And if she called me both names three times, it meant you're about to die. It meant she was serious about what she was about to say. Three times in three verses, God says, when we come together, we have peace. There's a corporate peace that you cannot get on your own. It's when we come together and we're able to say to each other something really important. Hey, church, it's going to be okay. Let me tell you that today. Church, we're going to get through this. We are. None of us like this virus thing. It's a pain in the backside. We're going to get through it. God's got it. I got great news for you. Heaven doesn't have the virus. Isn't that good news? Jesus is not panicked. He's not worried about it. And he is going to walk us through that. And there's a corporate sense of peace that happens when we come together. We need to grab that peace. It is vital. That's why Jesus said to us, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. In me you can have peace. We come together for peace. Look at what Psalm 29 says. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with peace. One of the reasons The Hebrews came together three times a year for a week of worship, came together every Sabbath, once a week for worship, was to gain that sense of peace, that sense that everything is going to be okay. The family is all here for each other. Here's the idea. Our peace goes up when we worship with God's people. Now, you want your peace to go down, try to be a Lone Ranger Christ follower. There's no peace in being alone. There's quiet. There's a difference in peace and quiet. The peace comes when we are together and sense from each other that God is at work. One of the things I love is most of the truths of the Old Testament are also paralleled and taught in the New Testament. And this idea of the importance of worship as a source of joy, a source of community, and a source of peace is also taught in the New Testament. In fact, Paul writes about it a lot. You guys know Paul's pattern. If you don't, let me share it with you. Paul was a church planter. He would go and start a new church, raise up young leadership, stay there about a year, and then move on. Same thing I'm doing at Shawnee. We've been going a year and a half. I'm about to turn it to the 33-year-old guy that's been with me the whole time. He'll keep going. I'll go do this again. It's what I do. I plant churches. I'm a serial church planter. It's just fun for me. Paul did that. But what he would do is after he left a church with leaders in place, with the church doing well, he'd stay a year or two and go on, he would write them letters back to remind them of the things he wanted them to remember. Thirteen of those letters are in the New Testament. Half the New Testament is Paul's letters that he's writing back to the churches he started. 
That's where we get Romans. That's where we get Corinthians. That's where we get Ephesians. It's also where we get Philippians. Most of those letters in the first chapter, you'll find all three of these themes being repeated. Hey, I remind you, you want to be together, it produces joy. You want to be together, it produces community. You want to be together, it produces peace. Let me just show you that pattern one time in the book of Philippians. Look at what Paul writes. Every time I think of you, early verses of Philippians 1. I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for you all with joy. He's reminding them just the thought of thinking about you guys being together for worship brings me joy. He's embracing the joy that happens when believers come together for worship. He then writes, you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ. Partnership is talking about community. He's reminding them, you guys just, just thinking about you reminds me that we're one, we're one family, we're community, we're partners. That's part of worshiping together. And then he writes, may God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. See the pattern? Joy comes when we worship together. Community comes when we worship together. Peace comes when we worship together. We do corporate worship. The whole message of the Ascent Psalms, all 15 of them is, don't forsake assembling yourselves together. It's where your joy and your community and your peace are built. Now, let me just come straight at you with a word of challenge. Can I do that? I've been here enough from the start of this church till now. Uh, you could look at me as an uncle. You could look at me as papa. You could look at me as grandpa. It's really what I am. Let me just be grandpa for a minute and lean in. Here's the challenge. Find your way back to corporate worship. Find your way back. Now, those of you that are here right now are going, well, duh, I'm here every week. Every week. You need joy renewed every week. You need that sense that we're all together, that you're feeling right now every week. You need your peace deepened every week. To those that are already here in this 11 o'clock service, come back every week. To those that are watching online, find your way back. I'm so glad you're watching online. But unless you're doing that with a group of other believers, you're missing the together piece of this. You're not getting the same joy. You can't get the same community. You can't even get the same peace that happens when God's people are together. Find your way back. I want to share some sobering statistics that came out last month, and then I'm going to share some encouraging news as we wrap up this morning. Here's the statistics by the Barna Research Group, one of the sharpest groups in America. They study church life. They studied church patterns and attendance in the United States. They did a survey in July, mid-July, of regular attenders at churches before coronavirus. So their study group was people who attended regularly before corona, and their study point was to decide how many are still attending. Here's what they found mid-July. 30% were not attending anywhere, not in person, and not online, 30%, that's a third. 40% were attending, but online only. And only 30% were regathering face-to-face. Those are alarming statistics. 
because it means only 30% of us are having the advantage of all the joy and all the sense of community and all the sense of peace that God offers when his people are together. Here's the good news. Are you ready? The church is going to be just fine. I've read the end of the book. Have you read it? We win. We don't just survive. We thrive. For 2,000 years, the church has been through war. It's been through disease. It's been through plagues. It's been through persecution. It survives every single time. Coronavirus ain't going to take the church. Church is going to take corona. It's going to be fine, guys. It's going to be fine. But what you and I can do in between is really, really important. And that is the last word I want to share with you. You ready? We can offer grace to all that are around us. Grace. Can I describe our country right now? One third are sick and tired of this virus and they are ready to totally re-embrace every aspect of life. I'm in that third. I mean, the heck with this, let's go for it. If I perish, I perish. You know, that's where I'm at. There's another third of our country that are totally still wanting to isolate, totally still wanting to quarantine, totally being cautious. My wife is in this group. That's where she is. And there's a third in the middle that are tired of both groups telling them what to do. Y'all know people in all these groups, don't you? Some of you have been in all three groups. Grace. That's how we help them find their way back. We offer grace. Which group will you have to offer the most grace to? The group farthest from you. I'm over here in the let's get this show on the road group. I have to really work at offering grace. And to help me do it, God gave me my wife. And she's having to offer grace to me. One of my kids is totally re-engaged in life. My other daughter and her kids will not even be out of the house till there's a vaccine. Grace. Grace. We encourage people back gently while we offer grace. Would you write that in? Offer grace as you encourage people. Find your way back to church. Find your way back. You don't encourage them by saying, hey, I've been at church six weeks. I hadn't seen you, you heathen. What's up? Not very effective. Not helpful. You know what it is? Hey, Dan, I'm missing you, buddy. I'm missing you. I'd love to see you come back. I'm ready when you are. I'll go with you. I'll sit with you. I'll even sit away from you if you want me to. But I'm here for you. You and I are the bridges to help people find their way back if we offer grace. Turn to your neighbor, look them directly in the eye and say, you need all the grace you can get. Go ahead. All the grace you can get. Amen. Hey, Journey. 
God has great things ahead for you. I'm so proud of you for how you're coming back. To those of you that are online today, come on back. To all of us who have friends that are neither online nor back, let's offer grace. Can I pray for you as we finish today? Let's pray together. Father, you started this thing called the church. You birthed her 2,000 years ago. You put the building blocks of joy and community and peace in these corporate gatherings called church. And God, we acknowledge that we need all those things. We acknowledge that we're better and stronger and deeper together. So as Journey Church makes its way back, Lord, Help us do it with grace. Those who are ready to come back to offer grace to those who are not. Those who are not to offer grace to those who are. And Lord, all of us who have received so much grace from you to extend that same grace to others. Thank you for your church and that she wins. In Christ who is the groom of the church, the champion of the church, the leader of the church. We make this prayer. Amen. Can we give God a hand? Let's do that. Thanks.